As we approach questions surrounding humanity, an important concept for us to grasp is what it means to be created in the image and likeness of God. We read in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So four times in these two verses, God says that he is making male and female humans in his image and after his likeness. And we've been taught that and we believe that. But I'll just be honest, I had a really hard time this week trying to figure out where to begin with this lesson on the image of God in man. Because even though the text says we are created in the image of God, what does that really mean? And where do we go in the Bible for that specific insight? You know, you just wish there could have been an addition to Genesis 1.27 so it reads like this. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And behold, thus saith the Lord, this is what the image of God and likeness of God in man looks like and what it means. You know, and then the uh, there would be a list of what the image of God looked like or whatever. But alas, we have no such verse. So how do we understand exactly what the image and likeness of God are? And in what ways do humans image God? And in what ways are humans like God? Here's how I'm going to approach this topic. Uh, I've never been good at debate. I have never been good at apologetics. But I do understand that there are many techniques that can be used whereby someone can express and argue for their position. For instance, you can go on the offensive and force your opponent to have to react defensively. You can reframe your weaknesses as strengths. You can make an argument from silence. Uh, You can erect a straw man and then smash it to smithereens or burn it to the ground. For the sake of my argument today, I have invented a new tactic and I have named it the argument from reciprocal evidence. And here is how I'm going to explain my argument. If man images God, then there have to exist essential characteristics of man in God. If man was created in God's likeness, then God is like man in some ways. In other words, in my argument from reciprocal evidence, there are some things that we may be able to understand about God's image and likeness simply by observing humanity. And that is probably the best way I can think to help us understand the image and likeness of God in man. And of course, in addition to those ways, the Bible makes very clear what the character of God is. What I want to focus today on, though, is simply the imaging and likeness of God in man. So I'll take that approach, at least partially. Let me propose a couple definitions first, by the way of getting us on the same page with regards to image and likeness. I will then state my argument with regards to the image of God, and then we'll look at several ways that man images God and is like God. That will bring us to some conclusions that I hope will help us in application. That is, since man is made in God's image, what does that mean for me? 
what responsibilities do I have in the preservation and the exuding of that image in a lost world? So let's begin with some simple definitions. First, by image, I mean something that represents something else. Okay, an image is simply something that represents someone or something else. Every time I go to a Bulls game, I enter the United Center in Chicago. I always have to walk past a large bronze statue of Michael Jordan. He's in between the entrance and where my normal seats are. All right, that statue of Michael Jordan is an image. It is not Michael Jordan, but it surely represents him masterfully as his bronze image uh, appears to be floating through the air, uh, about to dunk the ball, we'll just say on Charles Barkley's face. All right, that statue is an image of Michael Jordan. And then likeness refers to something that is similar, but not identical. So we are similar to God in many ways, but we are not identical to God. We are not God. When God created us in his image and his likeness, we represent him in the essence of who we are as humans, and we are also similar to him in many ways. Here is my going in argument for this lesson as it relates to the image and likeness of God and man. Man is uniquely created in the image of God, and therefore, he is like God and represents God. And let's begin with the ways that we are made in the image of God. From what we know of God and from what we know about man, here are some conclusions regarding our imaging of God. And in the way of disclosure, I am sure that my list is not exhaustive, but I hope it gets us pointed in the right direction and at least forms a good foundation from go or for going forward. But here are four ways that we are made in the image of God. Number one, man is unique from other creatures who are not made in the image of God. Of no other of God's creation does the Bible declare they were created in God's image. Humans are the only of God's creation who receive that description. This is a simple point, but it will have some very, very profound implications later on. No animal, no plant, no other of God's creation bears the image of God. And as we'll see later, God takes his image in man very seriously, and he protects it. More to come on that in this lesson and also some future lessons. Number two, man is the closest creature to the actual image of God. So with regards to the essence of who God is, man is the closest of all of God's creation to that image. And that is the position of privilege and inherent responsibility, you might say. In fact, last time we looked at Psalm 8. And verse 5 says that man is crowned with glory and honor. There's a place of exaltation for man. Man is the closest of God's creation to the image of God. Therefore, if that is true, that man is closest to the image of God among all creation, and that man is uniquely in that position, then number three, all mankind carry the image and likeness of the Godhead within them. All mankind. 
That includes both unbelievers and believers alike. There's no way around it. Every human bears the image of God. All races, all ethnicities, all ages and stages of development, both sexes, all stages of mental and physical health. Every human bears the image of God. And number four, God's desire is that mankind would represent him among God's creation. Something Tiffany reminds me of a lot is that we as humans are the visible representation of an invisible God. As such, we have a responsibility to, and God desires us to, be an accurate representation of him among the rest of creation. And I would just add so much more for those of us who are believers, who understand the character of God and who Jesus Christ was. Let me recap quickly those four ways we bear God's image. And again, there's many more, but this is our starting point for this lesson. First, man is unique from other creatures who are not made in the image of God. Two, man is the closest creature to the actual image of God. Three, all mankind carry the likeness of the Godhead within them. And four, God's desire is that mankind would represent him among God's creation. In addition to these four are also the communicable attributes of God. Those attributes that define God, that are God, but that God has also graciously passed on to humanity to also embody. Now I have it on very good authority that Jordan will be doing a podcast on theology and he'll be getting into at some point God's communicable attributes later this year. So I will let him dive deeper into that realm. But those are additional ways that we are like God and that we image him appropriately. And that brings me to our next question. As we image God, how are we also like him? You would think that with how hostile we are as humans and tend to be towards God and with how indescribably wicked our hearts are, that there couldn't possibly be any ways in which we are like God. And this opens the conversation about the fall of man when Adam sinned. Was the image of God erased in man at the fall? Did humanity cease from being like God? I believe the answer to both is no. Man has not ceased imaging God, nor has he lost everything that made him like God. However, sin seriously marred the image of God in man. Adam and Eve would have not ever died were it not for their sin. Think of that. The Bible says that death came through Adam and his sin, and so death has passed to all humanity ever since. Exceptions being Enoch and Elijah, who, by the way, were well on their way to dying. (laughs) Um, God had other plans for them. You know, Adam could have lived on forever, but because of sin, he only made it to a measly 930 years, right? So at sin, the image and likeness of God were marred, distorted, but not completely done away with. So how are we like God? Well, first, we understand right and wrong. Another way of saying that is that we have moral accountability, Revelation 20, 11 through 12 says, Then I, this is John the Apostle speaking, Then I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. 
Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in these books according to what they had done. The day of reckoning is coming, and every human is going to account for what he did that was right or wrong. That's what John is saying here. This is a future event. Either a human pursued redemption from his sin, and he lived for God, or he ignored it and lived for self. We all understand right and wrong, and we are accountable as such for what we do with that understanding. In our understanding of right and wrong, we are like God. We have that moral accountability. Number two, we have a spiritual aspect. This is another something that animals and the rest of creation do not possess. But man is composed both of material, the body, and immaterial, his spiritual aspect. So with that, we understand that every human is born with immortality. Yes, every person will see death, but that death is purely a physical material death. A person's immaterial aspect, his spirit, is going to abide forever, either in heaven or in hell. So in that sense, every human is born immortal. He is born with a spiritual aspect that will abide forever. That spiritual element is in the likeness of God, for God is spirit. John 4.24 tells us that. Next, we have a mental aspect. Mankind has the cognitive ability to develop creatively. Okay, Music, uh, arts, inventiveness. Right? Man has that cognitive ability to develop creatively. Man can think abstractly. We can think on the past, the future, contingencies, things that could have been, things that might become. We can think abstractly. We can feel with complexity. Right? We can feel multiple emotions in varying degrees and oftentimes at the same time. Later this spring, I'll be taking a friend to a Chicago Bulls game in Chicago. And we're going to walk right past that, uh, that bronze statue, that image of Michael Jordan. While we're at that game, we are going to feel multiple emotions in varying degrees. There will be sweet anticipation as we drive to the game. The excitement will ramp up as we enter the arena and as the game begins. We will feel gladness at every Bulls score, every steal, block, and rebound. We will feel sadness at every opponent's score, steal, block, and rebound. If the game goes horribly, we might even leave early in a state of bitter dejection. If the game goes well and we pull out a victory in double overtime, our elation will be uncontrollable. At least mine will. So we have a mental aspect where we can develop things creatively and think abstractly on things that have been or will be or contingencies that could be. And we can also feel with complexity. And then number four, we are like God in a relational aspect. Mankind needs and sustains community. Man desires community and seeks family for lifelong relationships. We have a God-given drive for community. Now, I said it earlier in our study, and I'll say it again. God is in need of nothing and never has been. So God does not need relationships with humans or any other of his creation. However, God is relational. 
he chose to walk in the garden with Adam and Eve. And since the fall in Genesis 3, the rest of human history has been and will continuously be pressing towards the time when perfect fellowship between God and humanity will once again be realized. And you can't read through the Bible and come away with any other conclusion but that God is relational. He desires a relationship with his creation and the extent to which he would go to restore those relationships with his creation can be seen in the life and ministry of Jesus. So those are four ways that we are like God. And you can see that there is overlapping connection between them and the ways that we are also in God's image. Something you can think about later is this. How did the fall in Genesis 3 affect the image and likeness of God and man? It is clear from the scriptures and from observation that we still image God and are like him in some ways. But what changed in Genesis 3 and how in the world will it ever be restored? Just something more that you can ponder on later. And we'll actually touch on some of that in a, in a minute here. Let me take a few minutes though first to read through several verses that contribute to this topic. And you'll see how they directly contribute to this conversation. In fact, the first one even contributes to the question I just asked about the image and likeness of God and how it was affected in man at the fall. Just six chapters later, um, after the fall in Genesis 3, as Noah disembarks the ark, listen to what God tells Noah in Genesis 9-6. He says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. And get this, why is that? Why does man have to account for his murder with his own life? The end of the verse says this, For God made man in his own image. So even after the fall, after the flood, God still tells Noah that he needs to recognize this. There is a penalty for the murderer and that penalty is his own life because the life that he took was a human life that was made in the image of God. And God says, if someone has the audacity to stamp out my image from another human, that person needs to die as well. Now that is pretty negative. We are talking about repaying death with death. But there is a positive to all of this, and, and that is that even though the image of God in man has been marred since Adam, it still exists and God values it very highly. Another positive is that there is a renewal of the image of God in man that has been previewed to one degree and that will be fully realized in the future. So when was man able to preview the renewal of the image of God in humanity? Or I guess witness a perfected example of God's image in man? Well, at the first advent of Jesus, the Christmas story itself and the life of Christ. John says in his gospel that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen, we as humanity, were able to see his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Paul tells us in Colossians 1 that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. A few verses later, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, 
whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Christ does not simply show us what we could have or should have been. Rather, he is the embodiment of what we can be again and what we will become. I am flying through these verses. Uh, Let me give you just two more to help tie all this together, and then we'll draw a couple lessons for life. The first is Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. Paul tells the church at Ephesus to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We call this sanctification, becoming more like Jesus every day we are upon this earth. Ultimately, we will be in the image of Christ. We will be glorified. And Jesus, or I'm sorry, and John tells us why in 1 John 3, 2. We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. This is a wonderful conclusion for this lesson. The image and likeness of God that was placed in man has been marred and distorted through sin. And yet, one day, we will realize the wonderful perfection of God's image and likeness in us because we will see Jesus and we will be just like him. We will be able to image God perfectly when we behold the perfect awesomeness of Jesus. Okay, let me give us a couple lessons for life to help you as you sort all this out in your own head and maybe as you have conversations with friends and coworkers or within your family. But here are a few lessons for life for you. Number one, all humanity is created in the image of God. Let me say that one more time because this is foundational to the final four lessons in this mini-series. All of humanity is created in the image of God. Regardless of race, ethnicity, gender, age, and I would propose unborn or elderly, color, mental retardation, terminally ill, believers or unbelievers, and fill in the blank with whatever other classification you want, every human deserves full protection and honor as humans created in the image of God. Please don't ever forget that. If we as a country could figure this out, racism would go extinct. Abortions would be criminalized. Euthanasia wouldn't even be found in our dictionaries. All humanity is created in the image of God, and this impacts my relationship with God and also with all other humans. Number two, this truth affects my code of ethics. And you can see from my first life lesson what I mean by that. What I will or won't do in any number of situations and why I will or won't do it is dictated by this truth that I and all other humans are created in God's image. And this truth affects my code of ethics. Number three, And finally, this truth impacts my sense of community. Understanding that I and every other human are created in the image of God affects how I relate to and speak to others. 
how I demand justice from others and under what conditions in a legal sense. How I personally, how Matt, legitimizes being in the military. Okay, this truth regarding God's image in me and in every other human affects my sense of community and everything about my interactions with the rest of humanity across the world. And that concludes this week's lesson. Uh, Next week, we will be potentially a little shorter in our lesson. What I want to focus on briefly is the humanistic, uh, postmodern approach that society has taken with regards to humanity. What society is teaching our kids is heinous and couldn't be farther from the truth. What society is pushing upon you couldn't be farther from the truth. I mentioned uh, on one of the earlier sessions that schools were beginning to put litter boxes in the bathrooms for kids who identified as cats on a particular given day. I recently found some news articles that debunked that that was happening. So we live to fight another day, and I apologize for the fake news if it was in fact fake news. However, I think the fact that those initial articles were so believable (laughs) is an indication of where we are heading and will be there sooner than any of us thinks. I'm sure of that. So that will be our next session, just talking through the secular approach to humanity and how that has and will continue to bombard God's truth. Also, understanding this counterfeit approach will help you see how secular gender identity, sexual freedom, abortion are all affected based on how you define humanity. Today was a pillar, a foundation for that, but you will see if you adopt a secular foundation, it is going to completely change the way you look at and believe all these other topics that I just mentioned and that we will cover in the next few weeks. And if you choose to define humanity using the world's methods, you can just about come to any conclusion that you want and justify that conclusion. Okay, if you want to speak more on any of this, you know where I work. It delights me so much when you all visit my office and say, hey, you just said in your last video or in your sermon X, Y, or Z. Can we talk more about that? Absolutely. How much time do you have? We'll talk as long as you want. Anyways, we'll talk with you next time.